podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Double Century on the 99.94 Podcast Network. That's out! That is out! Brian Lara has been dismissed. It bubbled around in the gloves of the wickkeeper Iqbal. But Brian Lara once too often flirting outside that off stump. And aren't the Kenyans happy? There have been millions of catches in the history of our game, but this is one of the more iconic ones. The year is 1996, and it is a World Cup match in Pune. The occasion demands a special day, and it is special, 29th of February in fact. Kenya's regular keeper, Kennedy Atonio, isn't playing, and a shopkeeper called Tarek Iqbal is the only other person in the squad who has any history of wicketkeeping, so they assign him the role. Problem is that Tarek does not look particularly wicketkeeper-like. He wears a blue headband and glasses, and he weighs 95 kilograms, the Guardian writes. They also mention his double chin in the match report. Kenya had taken a flight from Patna to Delhi, and then another from Delhi to Mumbai, and then travelled down to Pune by bus. They hadn't actually even seen the ground, let alone practised on it before they got there. The West Indians thought so little of the Kenyans that they invited them to dinner after the match. A lovely gesture, but perhaps not exactly what you expect of fierce World Cup rivalries. The West Indies have Curtly Ambrose, Courtney Walsh and Ian Bishop. And Kenya are bowled out for 166 and no one reaches 30. But Kenya have Rajab Ali. He's already dismissed Ricky Ponting, Mark Waugh, Michael Bevan and Grant Flower in this World Cup. He will take 10 victims in the World Cup altogether, under the average of 20. Early on, he hits Richie Richardson on the pad. Tarek strolls after it and it goes for four leg buys. There's a ball from Martin Suji who keeps low. Tarek kneels to his right and the ball brushes his left thigh and goes for four buys. Richardson gets an edge and Tarek drops it and it goes for four. Four overs and poor Tarek has conceded three boundaries and a drop catch. His teammates are smiling. His captain, Asif Karim, tells Tarek to just regroup. Rajab Ali bowls Richardson. Suji bowls Sherwin Campbell. The Kenyan supporters in the stand are cheering, but Brian Lara is batting and he looks good. It's now 33 for two and Rajab runs into bowl. Coach Hanyamant Singh has made him watch videos before this match. He had asked Rajab to try and induce Lara into making mistakes, and that's exactly what he does. He bowls outside off stump, Lara tries to push it off his back foot, but the ball does just a little bit and it finds the edge and then it finds Tariq, who does not take the catch. The catch takes him. He tries to close his hands, but the ball gets stuck somewhere between his legs and he finds it somehow. Then he realises what he has done and his teammates realise what he has done. And there is a moment where you can see that the Kenyans believe they can beat the West Indies. Hitesh Modi sprints and dives to run out Keith Arthurton, sort of Jaunty Road style. Captain Morris Adumbe gets Shivnarine Chandrapur and Jimmy Adams. He bowls another one on leg stump. Roger Harper tries to glance, but Tariq is transformed man after the Lara catch, and he moves to the leg side, and he is ready, and he takes an outstanding catch. The Kenyans are laughing now, in celebration and hope. West Indies are 78 for 7. Adumbe knows that the game is over, and he tells his team to strangle them, choke them. West Indies are bowled out for 93. 
And that's it. Inside edge onto the stumps. Cameron Coffee goes. That's the end. Kenyans are elated. Extraordinary performance by the Kenyans. Nobody on earth would have expected this kind of a result in today's match. This victory is as good as winning the World Cup for them. The dinner is still on after the game, and the Kenyans show up. But it is a subdued affair. The Caribbean media tear into their cricketers. But the Kenyan media is quiet. Back home, cricket is a sport for the privileged whites and Asians. But the Daily Mirror in Kenya runs a headline that becomes famous. Lara is shamed by 15-stone shopkeeper, a dentist, and a tennis player. The shopkeeper is Tarek Iqbal. The dentist is Deepak Chudasama. He played table tennis for Kenya in the Commonwealth Games. In 1997, he and Kennedy Atono will add 225, the world record opening stand in ODIs. And the tennis player is left-arm spinner Asif Karim. In that World Cup, he had an economy rate of 3.56, better than Shane Warne, Mitaim Uralitharan, and Anil Kumble. But Asif Karim, well, he's much more than that. This series of Double Century is about missed chances, the teams that got away. For the longest time, the narrative of cricket was that only the teams who ended up with test status actually loved the game. But there have been others that have shown that same passion, but who, for many varied reasons, did not move into test cricket. In this episode, it's Kenya, a team of many families, of tennis and table tennis players, of dreams that came true, and a rise as steep as the decline that followed. Asif Karim has played Davis Cup tennis for Kenya. He has a hole-in-one in golf as well. He led Kenya in the 1999 World Cup, and he played sport for Kenya over two decades. His son, Irfan, plays cricket for Kenya. The tennis came from Asif's father, Yusuf Khan, who they called the king of Mombasa courts after he won 25 titles on the trot. The same Mombasa where there is an international cricket ground with a mango tree inside the boundary. Mombasa is an ancient city, Kenya's first capital, but Nairobi is the capital now, cricket or otherwise. Nairobi and Mombasa are separated by a 500-kilometre-long road. The spiritual gap is perhaps longer. More than a rivalry, this is an almost spiritual barrier. These two places are in the same country, yet somehow not quite the same. And it has remained that way for a long time, and it has affected their cricket. Mombasa hosts the first important cricket match in Kenya. That was in 1889 between the African Protectorate and a team called Rest of the World. Officials versus settlers began in 1910 and Europeans versus Asians in 1933. These were the most important fixtures. In between, in 1914, a Kenyan team toured Uganda and beat them by five wickets. A club called Kenya Congonis toured England in 1936. The first international match was in 1951 against Tanganyika, and a team from Natal came over in 1952. The Kenyan Cricket Association was founded in 1953, and this was the first interracial cricket organization in Kenya. In that same decade, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, and Zambia continued to play as a team called East Africa. They often toured together and also played against other touring sides. Their opponents often included sides from South Africa, consisting sometimes of only non-white cricketers. These matches probably should have had international status, as the South Africans did represent 80% of their population, but the ICC never acknowledged that board. However, East Africa continued to play, sometimes as separate countries and sometimes as a unit. In 1966, they got associate membership. In 1975, they played in the first ever Men's World Cup. 
The East African team had several big names of Kenyan cricket. Captain Haralal Shah would later become Kenya's chief selector and manager. Frazat Ali Mughal became the first cricketer to open both a batting and bowling in a one-day international. In fact, he did it in all three matches at the World Cup. Jaywa Shah had been Kenya's best batter of the 1960s, and in 1967, he scored 96 and 134 in a match against Bisham Beatty and Prasanna. Seam bowler Don Pringle died in a car crash months after the World Cup. His son Derek would go on to play for England. There was a good legacy of cricketers there. East Africa continued to play in the ICC Trophy, but Kenya left them in 1981 to become an associate member on their own. They combined to play through the 1980s and 90s, and they got ODI status just after the 1996 World Cup. In the summer of 1998, India invited Kenya and Bangladesh for a tri-series. Kenya got 265 for 5, Ravindu Shah, Morris Adumbi, Hitesh Modi all made 50s against Venkatesh Prasad and Anil Kumble. The Indian openers added 34, but Martin Suji had Sachin Tendulkar caught, Joseph Angara bowled Muhammad Azaruddin, Martin's brother Tony ran out Navjot Sidhu, Tokolo and Adumbe, giants of Kenyan cricket, took three wickets each. Kenya beat India two years after they beat the West Indies. In ODI cricket, Tokolo had over 3,000 runs and nearly 100 wickets. Adombe, 1,400 runs and 39 wickets. Ateno, more than 2,000 runs. Kareem took another 27 wickets in one-day internationals. There was a lot of quality cricketers available there. But they had a young star as well, Thomas Adoyo, who had been the youngest cricketer in the 1996 World Cup. He would play until 2014, when Kenya lost their ODI status. He is the only man from an associate nation with 2,000 runs, 100-wicket double in one-day internationals. After beating the West Indies in 96 and then beating India in between the World Cups, Kenya lost every match at the 1999 World Cup. They went through a difficult phase after that. They hosted the 2000 Champions Trophy or the ICC Knockout, but financial problems persisted within their cricket. There were issues over payment. Team morale was low. Adumbe and Tokolo factions began to form within the squad. Asim Karim had not played since the 1999 World Cup. He was asked to resign after that tournament, and then he pretty much retired. But for the 2003 World Cup, he was brought back. As much as anything, it wasn't really about his cricket. He wasn't expected to play. But they wanted someone in there to soothe all the problems between the squad. Some of the players don't even want him back as they seem a stooge of the board. But it does mean that Kenya have most of their best players ever in one team. Asif Karim joins Tokolo and Adumbe and Atono and Adoyo. And it's Tokolo who is leading Kenya. In the first game, South Africa thrashed them by 10 wickets. But the next match, they play against Canada. Adoyo takes 4 for 28. Ravindu Shah gets 61 and they win by 4 wickets. Then something interesting happens. New Zealand refused to travel to Nairobi for security concerns, which means that Kenya get extra points. Against Sri Lanka and Nairobi, Atono gets a 50 and Kenya make it to 210 for 9. The Pacers take Sanis Jayasuriya and Marvin Adapatu, but Sri Lanka only need 140 runs in 195 balls with 8 wickets left. But Kennedy Atonio Aboya has a brother, a tall leg spinner called Collins Aboya. He gets Hashan Tilakaratni, Mahela Jayawardena, Kumar Sangakkara, Aravinda De Silva and Chimin Devas. Sri Lanka are now 119 for 7. The Kenyans are fielding brilliantly and they're giving nothing away. And one by one, the last three wickets fall. Aboya finishes with 5 for 24, and Sri Lanka are all out for 157. And that's it. That's it. It's over. It's all over here in Nairobi. 
the Kenyans have beaten the Sri Lankans. That means they have 12 points in four matches. Against Bangladesh, Adombe gets 52 in 46 balls and takes four for 38. Tokolo plays a cameo and he has three for 14. 16 points in five matches. They have great shirts and a great story, and the neutrals are completely rooting for them now, especially as the other African nations of Zimbabwe and South Africa have all sorts of problems. That is the tournament where South Africa will go out because they misunderstood the Duckworth-Lewis calculations. As far as Zimbabwe go, it's the tournament of Henry Olonga and Andy Flowers' protest. It's an African cricket tournament, and Kenya become the African nation that everyone starts to get behind. The West Indies do beat Kenya, but it doesn't matter. South Africa are out, the West Indies are out, and Kenya go into the Super Sixes. New Zealand and Sri Lanka also qualify. Kenya get full points against them, so they enter the Super Sixes with this huge advantage. And at one stage, they have India 24-3, but they lose the match. Then they have to face Zimbabwe, a side so devastated that they had to summon Alistair Campbell from the commentary box as reinforcement. Martin Suji and Colin Zaboy get three wickets each, and Kenya bowl out Zimbabwe for 133. Adumbe and Odoyo complete the chase. Kenya, an associate nation who could not pay their cricketers on time, will now finish third in the Super Sixes, meaning they will be at the semi-finals. Before that, there is a formality. They have to play the world champions, Australia. And if you've forgotten, Australia had won the 99 World Cup. They were about to win the 2003 World Cup, and they would go on to win the 2007 World Cup. They were an absolute machine. Kenya should have been very easy for them. And at one stage, it looks that way. Brett Lee takes a hat-trick and Australia just cruise through their innings with Kenya only making 174 runs for eight. Australia are 98 for one and it is no contest. Adam Gilchrist is hitting the ball out of Durban and that's when Asif Karim comes back on. Remember, Asif Karim wasn't expecting to play in this World Cup. He had not prepared for this World Cup. He was retired. He first played for Kenya in 1981. The Davis Cup tennis player and now retired insurance broker comes on to bowl and in two overs, he gets Ponting, Lehman, and Brad Hogg without conceding a run. Now Australia has their two enforcers at the crease, Andrew Simons and Ian Harvey. These guys love to smash the ball. But they decide not to actually try and score off Kareem. Simons attacks from the other end. Harvey gets a couple away as well. And Australia win. But Asif Kareem has 8.2 overs, six maidens, seven runs and three wickets. And the result doesn't matter because he is given player of the match award. Kenya will now play India in the semi-final and the Indians are not particularly happy. Batting in the evening has been a pain in Durban and they were bothered by Suji under lights here. India requests the ICC to reschedule this to a day match. The ICC turned them down. India still go on to win, but Kenya returned proud and happy. They have beaten three ICC full members, reached the top four and bothered India enough for a change of timing. The rewards come. Sharjah would host the Cherry Blossom Cup soon after the World Cup. Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe. They add Kenya to make it a quadrangular. That same summer, Collins Aboya gets a Warwickshire contract. He becomes the first Kenyan to play in the county championship. The West Indians invite Kenya to play the Beer Cup, their local domestic tournament. By now, Kenya has reached a level that no associate nation ever has. ICC full membership and test cricket seem just a matter of time. Yet, nothing happens. The players were not at fault. There was just no proper development in the country. No significant three or four day domestic cricket. That gap between Nairobi and Mombasa meant it felt like there were two different camps at times. 
And in the three years between the Sharjah tournament and a tour of Zimbabwe in early 2006, Kenya only played two ODIs in the 2004 Champions Trophy. Remember, they had hosted a Champions Trophy earlier. A team of extremely talented individuals now had no international cricket. Amidst all this, Adumbe was found guilty of match-fixing and was banned for five years. The cricketers went on a series of strikes. In 2006, the Kenya Cricket Association was dissolved, replaced by Cricket Kenya. Kenya resumed playing ODIs, but not winning them anymore. They lost everything in the 2011 World Cup. They tried a number of reforms, but had a disastrous World Cup qualifier in 2014. They eventually would lose their ODI status after 18 years. ICC's decision to expand T20 internationals to every team in the world did not really boost the men's team. But the women's team has grown of late. They won the five-nation Quibuka tournament in Rwanda in 2021 and finished runners-up this time. They are now ranked 23rd in the ICC rankings. And before I end, I just want to talk about one of my favorite stories. Families are important to Kenyan cricket. And I talked about the Kareem dynasty earlier. But I just want to mention this. Tom Tokolo had captained Kenya in 22 ICC trophy matches. Tom's son Steve and David both played in the 96 World Cup, like the brothers Tito and Morris Adumbe. Martin and Tony Suji opened the bowling for Kenya together. Kennedy and Collins had a third brother, David, who also played. But the Nagotchi family had perhaps the largest group of siblings to ever play international cricket. Lamek Oyango is the oldest, and then his sisters Mary Bell and Margaret. Then his brothers Nehemiah, Adumbe, James and Shem. That's a lot of players from one family. I'm not even sure if the Joyces can beat that one. Then there was also Hitesh Modi, a member of the Kenyan Golden Era. In a match in 2006, Modi was hit on the pads by Mashrafi Motaza. The Bangladeshis appealed and the umpire gave him out. And what is unusual about that, you may ask? Well, the umpire here was Subash Modi, the father of Hitesh. And there's one last thing I want to mention here that we haven't really gone into, but I've done a lot of the history of Asif Karim, and you can find other podcasts where I talk about him. But there's one particular article that I once read on him that I found really, really moving. And it starts by saying what an incredible athlete Asif Karim had been for Kenya, representing them in tennis and in cricket being such a huge figure for Mombasa sport, but also just Kenyan sport in the way that he represented them. In this article, the writer talks about the fact that Kenya is known for essentially two things, their animals and their athletes. And he goes on to talk about the fact that if you look at Kenya, they don't really look after their animals. Once the athletes are no longer winning, they pretty much ignore them from then on in. There's another story about Kenyan sport that doesn't get told as much, but there was a time when Kenya was a very, very good hockey nation. In the top eight in the world, consistently, they did well at the Olympics and they were clearly building something. And then one day, that all stopped. And I was told this story by Asif Karim. And if you look at the cricket team, sadly, the same thing has happened again. We know that Kenya can produce great cricketers, but we also know that once they turn a blind eye, things just stop. And we hope, especially through their women's team, that that doesn't continue for them. Double Century is a podcast on the 99.94 network. You can download our app via the show notes or look for us on social media to see all the podcasts and audio we produce. If you prefer your podcast ad-free, you can support us on Patreon to get that version. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century on 99.94 is a podcast narrated, produced and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes and co-produces the show. 
Double Century is my podcast about the history of the game, but I have another podcast called Red Inca, which is on the current game. Come over and hear us talking about when Faf Duplessis is topless or why T20 cricket is broken. Red Inca can be found where you listen to your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.